Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second chapter of a beautiful podcast that I am going to be creating here with an amazing guest, Philippe Lewis. And we're going to be talking about the journey to secure, which essentially is all about attachment theory and how to make our relationships more secure, meaning less volatile and more grounded and more in connection rather than disconnection. I'm really excited to be bringing Philippe back on. He was actually with the first chapter of the podcast back when it was called Driven for Purpose. We also had a few really nice, juicy lives also on different topics. I remember that. That was at least three or if not even four years ago. And we were just speaking about how a lot has changed. We've deepened, we've grown, we've evolved. We've gone through our own relationship portals over the last few years, become more wise, hopefully, and been able to <laughs> embody some of these tools that we are yeah, practicing. So Philippe, welcome to the show. It's good to have you back. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I think for my guests, for all the people who aren't yet familiar with you back in the day, I was living in California. You were living in California. We had a lot of crossover, but now I'm here in Europe and there may be quite a few people who aren't yet familiar with you or your work. So maybe we could start by you sharing a little bit about who you are, what you do. All right. I'm Philippe Lewis, and I'm, for all intents and purposes, relationship geek and especially an attachment theory geek. I discovered attachment theory many years ago. I was speaking, I'd been in conversation with my friend Trevor for many years around relating, and he's done the Hakomi training. And we we're speaking about difficulties I was having with a lovership and also with my wife, my partner. And at some point, he said something like, You might want to look at this book, Attached. And so I read the book and immediately started seeing patterns of coping mechanisms that attachment theory explained extremely well and started to map this, literally map this to what was going on in my relationship with my wife and also this girlfriend that I had because we're in an open relationship. And it was just uncanny how precisely it was able to name what was going on for me. And from there, I continued to dig into it and started talking to people and realized that attachment theory was such a good way to identify coping mechanisms, to understand the ways, the ways these coping mechanisms interlock between partners. And for, you know, in other words, it's allowed me to validate what was going on between us and also to explain to others what was possibly going on in their relationship or their lovership or, or their dating life even. So it was very supportive and helping validate and helping understand where one was um, in terms of insecurity or on their pathway to becoming more secure. Because what I noticed is as people became older and started to learn about themselves and started to do work on themselves, like, you know, in, some people would call that inner work or do some work with a psychotherapist or any other practitioners that are supportive in that respect they started discovering that they would experience life much more calmly and with much more poise. And they would be able to sort of see ahead of time what would mm -hmm. happen if they didn't take care of themselves or if they didn't have the tools to handle the intensity of the emotional dysregulation that often happens in our lives. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a number of years, about six, seven years at this point, my relationship with my wife has greatly developed and I've been able to identify sort of pattern, these patterns between us and being able to grow them into something that's a lot more secure. So can you give the audience an example of a pattern that plays out and how you would have what your old self would have done before having this knowledge and how you relate to it today? Yeah, in the old days, some of the patterns that started coming out before knowing about attachment theory is, for example, my wife would come to me and if she would say, oh, I don't feel really connected, I want to be closer to you, I want us to do more things. And at the time, I would often experience my immediate response would be that I wanted more space, more freedom, more, you know, more ability to be on my own schedule. And every time she, and it, it seemed like over the years, the interlocking, the timing of the interlocking of me wanting freedom and her wanting more closeness became more and more precise. You know, precise moment she would need more connection was the precise moment that I would want more freedom. And in the old days, my response or her response would always be like, why is this happening? Or why can't you, you know, do more things with me? Why? And I would say, why can't I have more of the freedom that I need? 
and it started to feel disconnected, but in a way that was very connected at the same time. Like that sort of precise interlocking, there was something there for us to discover. Like I knew it, it couldn't be so precise without there being some level of connection in the ways our nervous systems were engaging, even before I knew about nervous system regulation. And so when I discovered attachment theory, it started to explain that I was having avoidant tendencies. She was having anxious tendencies. And the anxious tendency would be about her wanting or needing to be able to lean on me as a sort of as a reference point of connection. And what I would need simultaneously would be finding my own reference point without anybody else pushing against me. So discovering this was really key for us to understand that, first of all, that this was happening and how we were needing different things at the same time. So what would you do in that case? Like, what's the antidote? I want more space. You want more connection. <laughs> how do we find that meeting point? How do we both get our well, needs met? At the time, it was just a lot of frustration because, you know, when you're speaking of needs, like it's one thing to say, oh, I want this. Like, oh, I want to eat Mexican food tonight. And the other person says, oh, I want to have Thai food. Okay, well, let's do it your way or let's do it my way. And next time, let's do it your way. But in the case of nervous system and emotional balance and regulation, it's a different thing. By the time you need something, you don't necessarily have a lot of space for it to happen tomorrow. Like sometimes we would try that, but always one person would be frustrated. If I needed space, she needed balance and connection. She would feel alone if I said, no, I can't do this for you. And if she wanted connection and really what I wanted, my nervous system was needing was just like to be in my own bubble, it would actually feel invasive. Mm -hmm. So initially it was just a lot of frustration. But then as we started to understand these coping mechanisms, we also started to understand that a lot of that would come up because we were essentially emotionally spent. Like it would be either a lot of work or it'd be our child growing up and which was very demanding. And a lot of what we started to develop without even knowing that's what we needed is the ability to regulate, which means that when a nervous system is dysregulated, what would help to actually calm the nervous system so that it can essentially recover and regain emotional resources. And so you can imagine your nervous system as having so much gas or so much energy to spend on dealing with the world, dealing with reality or dealing with other people. And when you start to run out, an avoidant person will go towards being alone as a way of resourcing. It's called auto-regulation. And somebody who's anxious is more likely to go look for somebody and lean on them as a way of finding their balance and regaining emotional resources. So mm -hmm. you can imagine that when the two of them come together and they're both spent, what they're needing is something very different in order to regain these resources that otherwise they, they don't have anymore. So the first thing is about learning to regulate, learning to regulate well enough that you can go back to the person that you made a commitment to. The second piece is learning to self-care because the key to regaining emotional resources is goes beyond just regulation. Regulation is just to calm the nervous system, but to regain energy it's just like filling up the tank of gas of emotional resources. That takes self-care. You need to do the things that your nervous system will identify or will use as a way of regaining this energy. So imagine you have an emotional body. We all have some version of an emotional body. And on any given day, we spend that emotional energy on different things. If there are challenging situations or people are loud or people are difficult, you spend that energy on engaging with them. And by the end of the day, or maybe the middle of the day, you run out. And so you have to do things like eating food, sleeping, taking good care of your body. That's the first thing. But also maybe doing things that are more quiet or things that feel resourcing, things that feel like they help you regain that emotional energy that otherwise you spent. Mm -hmm. If it's your partner and that partner is there right next to you all the time, then you start to become interdependent with them. So it's a form of dependency, but interdependency is, has more choice. But when you're insecure, you start to codepend on specific ways that you engage with them. If you're insecure and avoided, you'll start to depend on them to give you the space that you need because that's what you need to gain resources. If you're anxious, you're going to start to depend on leaning on them in order to regain the emotional energy that you need. So the trick is not to become a better partner. 
The trick is to become more secure so that you regulate more easily, you do more of the self-care so you have more, a greater abundance of emotional energy to spend, not just on your partner, but on the day that goes by every day, including your children, your work, your friendships, your relationships, or everything else that comes your way, including being sick or just having a difficult day. So essentially, what I think I'm hearing you say is that the most important thing in order to come secure is to be self-aware enough so that you know what you need as an individual to keep your tank full so that you have a larger bandwidth so that you can carry more of the stressors of life. It's almost like I see a person standing with, with their chi bubble, right? Like a bubble around them. And whenever somebody is taking care of themselves, doing the things that they know nourish them, whether that's going to the spa or getting a massage or going out in nature, their bubble becomes bigger. When their bubble becomes bigger, all of the outside things that are poking at them and prodding at them, financial stress or time stress or health stress or whatever the stresses are, children's stress, the bubble has enough space between you and the bubble that it's not going to actually hit you and start to create friction or tension. And so from that space of knowing yourself and knowing what you need, you will be able to handle not only yourself better, not only the situations that are you're coming into interactions with that challenge you, but also your partner's needs better as well. Yeah, yeah and it, actually awareness is only part of the, the equation. Awareness mm -hmm. is a good start to be able to know what do I need, what is my partner need, and in the moment, do I need to regulate or do I need to actually regain energy? To, do I need to resource myself? So the knowing of that is a good start because then you move in the right direction. But the practice of it, yeah. to have the space for it in your life is definitely a part of it as well. You can't yeah, just, it, just being aware of it is one thing, but to actually engage in those practices, to engage in the care, and that's the difference between just having awareness and actually doing the self-care is that you're you set up your life in a way that you know and that and that's something that happens as you become more secure you start to see you don't just catch yourself in the past you don't just look back and say oh okay you know i didn't get enough sleep that night which is why i didn't handle this thing the next day properly Mm -hmm. What you start to do is you start to look at what's coming your way in the near future or in the far future, and you start to plan for it. You start to be able to, to self-care ahead of time to kind of build up those resources, and you start to forecast when you're going to need that kind of self-care yeah. so that when the time comes, you're not caught running out of steam. You're actually building up, building things up ahead of time so you're ready for it. Yeah. And I think what comes up for me, this is also really a big part about self-reflection. So this is where, you know, we, we talked about the inner work and this is where for anyone who's listening right now, I would really invite them to start to reflect on some of these moments that, you know, that you just spoke about Philippe that was happening with you and your partner. So what is happening in your relationship? Can I be aware of the dynamic that's playing out? And can I think about how well-resourced was I or how under-resourced was I? And then from that space, start to see the pattern that is playing out. And then also part two here is what I would invite everyone to do is to take a journal and write down all of the things that really nourish them. Because this is also very different from person to person. What nourishes me may be completely different than what nourishes my partner. And it's also very important for your partner to have a list of things that nourish them because we can also help each other be aware of whether we're under-resourced. And it's a beautiful invitation if your partner is open to it. And if you you and your partner have this dialogue of like, hey, let's help each other stay resourced for not only our own well-being, but each other and our family or whatever it is we're engaging in. But if we can have these lists to go back to and check in and say, okay, actually, when was the last time I went to the sauna? Or how much have I been working lately? And this is, I think, a beautiful, a beautiful invitation for anyone who's listening on some practical embodiment to start playing this in their daily life. I mean, my wife would come to me and she would say, when's the last time you had food? Like she would find me trying to work and my brain's not working anymore. And she called me afraid not like it just like scratched my head trying to figure out like, how am I going to do this task? And she would come to me and say, you know, when did you have? Did you have breakfast? Did you have lunch? And 
you know, more back then, more often than not, I would say, huh, yeah, I don't, I think I had coffee. That was it. And so one of the things she brought into the relationship is what I call physical intelligence. The ability, the deeper ability to know when the body is kind of going out of balance internally by not eating well or not exercising enough or not drinking enough or not sleeping enough. There's deep wisdom that some people don't have. They get, and that was the case for me, started at a young age, started working long hours because I used to be a software engineer and they would just require that of people. And I would just work hours and hours and hours and forget that I was hungry. Mm-hmm. And of course, my performance surely was going down over the, you know, after hours and hours and hours of not eating enough or not eating well, and I didn't notice it. But to be with a partner is a beautiful contribution that they can have because they there are things that we don't have figured out that they do and vice versa. So the contribution that we can have towards our partner is the ability to see things that we can't see ourselves, including the ways that we're insecure, including the ways that we don't take care of ourselves, or including the ways that we could resource ourselves if we just thought of it. And so, mm. and that's both the beauty and sometimes the difficulty of being in partnership. Like we see our partners suffering or having difficulties and we want to support them, but they also, when there's this insecurity, there can be this, this sense that if your partner is making suggestions, that is a criticism. Or that is, it's something that we have that's imperfect or that's incomplete or that's a problem. And it's not always received as a contribution. Yeah. Brings me to a question of something that I I see a lot with the clients that I'm working with. One partner is really deeply wanting to understand and wanting to grow and wanting to evolve and wanting to see themselves and self-reflect and do their inner work. And the other person just isn't interested or isn't really on the same page. How do you feel like, yeah, how, how do you see that impacts a relationship? Can somebody who is very deeply involved in wanting to understand the nervous system and wanting to move through childhood pieces still relate with somebody who doesn't really have the same drive and desire to show up in that way? And what have you seen and what would you recommend for people who are like, yeah, I'm really wanting to do this inner work, but my partner's just, yeah, it's just not there. I mean, there's there's a number of ways to look at this. I mean, first of all, if you're on a growth path and your partner is not nearly as much on a growth path, chances are, unless they really suddenly wake up and say, wow, this is really exciting and really cool and I want to be in this the same way you are, chances are, if you're the person who's on a growth path, then you'll be leading the way for possibly forever or for a long time. And that's normal. And like the person who's further along sees more benefits than the person who hasn't been there. And in my model of it, in my exploration of attachment theory, I've declared that as different stages. There's four stages of the journey to secure. The first stage is when you're insecure and you're unaware of it. So, and typically what that means is that you have insecurity and you blame it on other people because you think you're fine. You think it's their problem. And you think you're just doing great. But the reality is that you're not doing so great and they can see that, but you can't. And then there's that stage one. And then stage two is when you become aware that your insecurities are actually impacting your life. And that's the beginning of understanding what you're losing, the quality of life you're losing, the relationships that you're losing, the challenges and that cost you time and effort and energy that essentially slow you down. It's like navigating life with the handbrake on and, you know, it's breaking down your, your engine, it's breaking down your life and you're only beginning to understand what that is. And as you understand what's going on, then you start to realize, oh, I could do something about this because once you realize what happened in the past and how you could do it better, there's a tendency to say, well, if I could do it better, maybe I can. And if I don't have that drama in my life, then wow, things are going to be easier. I'm going to get to enjoy my life a little bit better. But the beginning of that is really, really, really slow. So if you're further along the growth path where you you know your insecurities, you started to do something about it, you're gaining momentum and you're gaining success in catching yourself faster and faster or even forecasting where you might have a hard time about something or you might become insecure about something or you might run out of emotional bandwidth and you start to self-care so it doesn't happen anymore you start to accelerate, your life starts to go to work out better, and you start to enjoy it more. But simultaneously, your partner might still be, you know, a couple of stages behind you. And then you can kind of notice their difficulty. 
and you want to support them, but while they're insecure, any support will occur as a form of criticism or reinforce their insecurity. That's a very difficult place to be. Yeah. A recommendation in that case is you see a practitioner, you see a, a psychotherapist who will either see you both at the same time or see you separately and mm -hmm. then address the situation for each person separately and support the connection between the two partners as much as possible. And then hopefully the partner who's not quite as far along will start to notice the benefits of being more deeply connected to themselves as a form of inner security and also together with their partner and how this will make life so much better and so much, so much more fun and so much more exciting with all the drama that seems to pop up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. So I'm hoping that's going to help some people because I've definitely, I think also, yeah, I think it's very common in, and at least in my field, that one person is further along and they're really wanting to invite their partner to join them. And it's always a very tricky situation, especially I've noticed if it's a female to a male, because then it's like testing testing the masculine's desire to want to do it all on his own and not be mommied or not be nagged or not be like this wound of not enough. I see this so often, this wound of not enough, a lot in male body beings mm -hmm. as the feminine body beings are really just diving into this understanding the emotional body and wanting to understand yeah, relationships are so important to the feminine in all of us, but especially for female body beings who are primarily feminine in their essence, it's something that is so natural to the core, whereas for male embodied beings, it's less of a nature priority as I believe it is for women. Yeah, I have a suggestion around that mm -hmm. because I'll just say men to mean exactly what you just said, because I don't think I could repeat it perfectly. I would say the, the research shows that women are interested in relationships and people and men are more interested in things. So. Mm -hmm. It's natural for women to go into, into attachment theory and because it helps them understand their own behavior. Their, it's really interesting from that standpoint because it helps them connect better. It's even more important for somebody who's a woman and also anxious or disorganized where they see the possibility of deeper connection as a real benefit for their life because an anxious person wants more connection. So it makes sense for somebody who is avoidant less so. And apparently there's as many avoidant men as there are women, but I think it plays into the narratives and the culture for men to be avoidant. So they're more visible and it plays mm -hmm. more into the culture and the narratives for women to be anxious. But apparently the numbers are the same for both. It's just probably less visible. But the trick is since men apparently are more interested in things, then you present attachment theory as a puzzle. As a puzzle to be solved, yeah. as a thing to be understood. And I use it as a map. And so I'm understanding the map. And this is why I developed this educational game, which we'll talk about in a minute. For me, the real understanding came through when I developed this map that has all these landmarks that bring the whole idea of attachment theory up the, into, it brings it to life. It makes sense. I'm looking at the map and things make sense. I show it to people and it makes sense. And so for me, sense-making is my access. Even though I was leaning towards avoidant, it was less about relationships than it was about making sense. And that was the way that I kind of went mm. into it. So mm. bring it to a man and either, either they're avoidant or they just love things and try to understand how things work and just say, look at this. Let's make sense of this. Let's make sense of what's happening that's upsetting between us. Like, how can we identify what's happening so that we can catch ourselves faster so that so that next time we interact in the same way, we can actually short circuit that and take a different path on that map. And that's just a different way of looking at it. But it's the same mm. thing. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important to learn how to speak the other person's language because we have, you know, very different styles of communication often. Yeah, and it could be said that, you know, men are socialized to go less into their emotions. Although apparently they're just as sensitive and just as, you know, just as able to understand emotions. But if they're less socialized, they get less practice. And so it's yeah. either they're avoidant or they're just socialized that as practicing emotions and empathy less. And so as a result, they look at things differently. And, and very often 
that can happen to anyone. The experience is just an experience of frustration or an experience of confusion or an experience of, I don't understand this and it doesn't make sense. And I don't understand what she wants or what they want. And it's just a, sort of like a throwing the hands up in the air, like, well, I can't do anything about it. So to go into it in whatever ways makes sense for this person is really the best way to go about it. It's, you know, start with that. And then as things develop, then you can start to understand each other's language and try to make sense of each other's way of looking at things, mm. which will need to happen at some point. Like an, an avoidant person will need to understand what's going on in an anxious person's mind or what's it feel like to be in their shoes in order to really engage with them in a way that's compatible and congruent. So that's a beautiful bridge. And I think this is something that oftentimes is very confusing when it comes to this world. Question to you is, are people either anxious or avoidant or can they flip back and forth or can you be a little bit of both? Are you ever really secure also? Is there ever any such thing as like a truly secure person? Let's talk about that. Okay, this, I mean, this is a big question. I mean, attachment style is essentially coping mechanisms as they occur. The, you know, there's, they use the term attachment style to show that some people or children as well, go into specific sets or templates of coping mechanisms. But Sue Johnson doesn't say that. She just talks about protest behavior and there's different kind of protest behavior. Some protest behavior is about pulling closer and some protest behavior is about pushing away. And so there's different ways of looking at this. Some people look at it as islands and waves. The idea is not to identify someone. The idea is to just identify the behavior and, and just infer at some level, that there's something going on that creates those coping mechanisms or those protest behaviors. So to say some people are secure, some people are anxious, some people are avoidant, some people are disorganized, which are the big four, is not really to say that much. It's just to say that with the evidence that we have, maybe this person on the map of attachment, and if attachment is a map where there's a level of avoidance and a level of anxiety, somebody who has low anxiety and low avoidance would be secure. Somebody who's, who has high avoidance but low anxiety, at least the way an anxious person would do it, would be avoidant. And somebody who's a high anxiety and low avoidance would be more anxious. And somebody who's got high for both would be disorganized. And there's reasons behind that, or at least there's reasons we've inferred through research why this is the case. But it's really complex stuff. Like psychology... We say psychology is a science, but it's not really because it's really difficult to prove anything about the mind and about behavior. We can see that behavior happens, but to understand why it happens is incredibly difficult. So even though psychology is, has gone a long way, it's really difficult for it to prove anything. But we can say there are templates of coping mechanisms, and we can say that there might be reasons behind that, and we might say that these coping mechanisms reveal the way the nervous system works. So mm -hmm. for an anxious person, the nervous system is best regulated through connection with another. It's, a, it's not just best, but it, there's a need for that. For an avoidant person, the nervous system is best regulated or there's a need for regulation by oneself, which is called autoregulation. For the anxious person, and also for secure, it's called co-regulation. When you're dysregulated, you get close to somebody that's already regulated, and you essentially lean on them as a reference point emotionally, and you kind of get a sense of what's it like to be regulated by just, just by feeling. It's a little bit like warming yourself up. On, if you're cold, you're warming yourself up on somebody who's warm, and you get warm. And you also start to, to, to feel what it's like to be warm, and your body sort of catches on or something like that at the emotional body level. For somebody who's disorganized, the issue is more is really about safety. And so that's a whole other ball of wax. Somebody who's disorganized typically has both types of coping mechanisms they have access to because they lived a childhood or potentially a more recent life where there was a lot of challenges, where there was existential threat. Mm -hmm. There was a threat to one's life. And that threat meant that every possible way to survive was a fair game. And so for a lot of people, it'd be like growing up in a household where somebody that you're trying to love is sometimes loving and sometimes dangerous. Like sometimes they would mm. blow up. You didn't, you wouldn't necessarily know when they would blow up. And it was a very 
dicey way to live. And so the nervous system develops adaptively, develops all these coping mechanisms in order to survive. And it's primal. It's at a primal level. It's not something that you really think through. You're, you're just at the nervous system level. You adapt to the situation, which sometimes means laying low if somebody's blowing up. And in some cases, it's about running away. Sometimes it's about dissociating because somebody is hitting you. And so, so it's a difficult place to be, and it's the most volatile and the most random is not the right word, but the most difficult attachment style because things can change radically. So there's a way you can flip, even given one particular engagement or one particular situation where one moment you're anxious and one moment you're avoiding, one moment you're dissociated, one, num- one moment you're fighting. And that would be coming from a place of being disorganized. And the other three will typically more remain in their realm of coping mechanism. An anxious person is more likely to want more connection in order to solve a dysregulation. And the more the person who's avoidant is more likely to want time alone in order to find their own balance. And somebody who's secure is more likely to to just take advantage of what's available in order to find regulation. More likely to co-regulate, but if they're alone, They'll go out in nature and they'll relax in nature and or self-care. It's interesting because when I hear this, I just reflect on my own experience. And for my whole life, for most of my whole life, I was very avoidant. And I still do feel in general, I really, if my nervous system is really overwhelmed, I will need to, to be by myself. However, for the first time in my life, I had a, a recent experience with an ex partner, and I started to become anxious because they were more avoidant than me. And now, what I'm noticing since that relationship and since that breakup, whereas before, somehow I always attract the people who are way more like who are avoidant and aloof and the hard to get ones. I, I really, for some reason, really try to go for those. I would love to change that. But yeah, it's this interesting piece that whereas before this relationship, if somebody didn't message me back or was kind of aloof or like, I was like, okay, whatever, like on to the next. But now I'm noticing there's more of a this anxiousness is kind of almost carrying over from this relationship. It's almost like trauma or something because it came out of the blue. We were in this beautiful, amazing relationship and then boom, out of the sudden it ended and my whole nervous system was dysregulated. And somehow I still feel kind of stuck in that. And even though I do my self-care practices, even though I'm, I mean, I'm embodying, I'm moving emotions, I'm feeling with the emotions, I'm in my just normal hygiene space. I have my therapist but I'm still stuck a little bit in how I could go from there to now feeling this more anxious side. And and on the one hand, wow, I have a lot of compassion. I have a lot of compassion for the people who are chronically anxious. And I'm like, damn it, I want to go back to the other side because it's a way, it's a way better on that side. <laughs> I totally feel for you. So I'll say a few things about that. So first of all, Absolutely. You can have an experience or a relationship that will completely throw you off, especially if this... I mean, this person doesn't necessarily have to be more avoidant than you, but they can be the first one to bust a move and leave you high and dry and leave you. And the reason they, they, it feels like they left you high and dry is because you bonded with this person. Mm-hmm. So to be left alone or abandoned is, is, you know, it's absolutely likely to leave you feeling like, where's my person? And internally still wanting to lean into them in order to find this balance, because now you're in distress. And it's hard It's hard for somebody who's anxious. They're like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. So when they do it, it's almost confirming the fear that was already present. And very often, somebody who's anxious will, as some people specifically, will sabotage the relationship in order to feel that sense of abandonment, because it will confirm what they were already feeling. Like the fear will sort of manifest itself into something. But for somebody who's avoidant, it's a different experience because likely you or they don't bond easily. So when it happens, when the bonding happens, which is probably more rare than somebody than others, when that bond happens and it gets ruptured, it's a wild experience that that is so completely new or has so much newness that that instead of just saying, well, fuck this, I'm just going to go and find somebody else. The reaction is one of real huge distress because so much of it is new. So much of it is new and and the emotions that are coming up 
especially if you've been doing your work, the emotions that are coming up are going to come up more easily. And so to me, that brings me into the, the next piece, which is the journey of somebody who's avoidant is a longer journey. And in order to get, like if you look at the map of attachment and on the top left is, is secure and the bottom right is disorganized and on top right is avoidant and bottom left is, is anxious, the avoidant person cannot go straight into secure. They have to cross over into into anxious and they have to feel all the feelings and learn to feel all the feelings. So mm. when this big rupture happens, which, you know, if you're doing your work, you're sort of loosening this avoidance, these avoidant tendencies, and you become more and more conscious of your feelings and you start to do this work of feeling your feelings and becoming more emotionally intelligent, if you want to look at it that way or, or literate, you're also more likely to go into a bond with somebody. And then when that bond ruptures, because for most, most bonds will eventually rupture, you will feel it even more deeply. But now you've crossed over into the anxious side and, and you, you, have to, you have to cross through that kingdom of, of anxious in order to become secure because you have to resolve these feelings that either have happened before or happening now and learn to navigate the rupture that will inevitably happen. So it's a new experience. You haven't been in that particular, you haven't crossed that landscape yet. So you're, there's a lot to learn about emotions, about needs, about what, what hurts, about why it hurts. So on one hand, it's difficult. On the other hand, it needs to happen in order for you to become secure. And in some ways, that rupture is actually what's having you do this follow-up work that will then lead you to secure eventually. Oof, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a something mouthful. Good. No, it was amazing. I'm just like, okay, great. Something good is coming out of this. So you're you're it my is. savior. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good because you have to experience this enough times that you yeah. build resilience around it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's possible that you might go back to, to avoidant because it's easier, but really the pathway is through anxious into secure. And the anxiousness, it's not classic anxiousness. You did not grow up with that. What you're going through is, is the necessary experience needed in order to have resilience around your security. Mm. Mm, mm, beautiful. Yeah, no, thank you for, for that share. It really resonates. And yeah, it's good no, for you, but it's hard. It is hard. Yeah, but it does give some some hope because there is through this journey, what I've noticed inside myself is, yeah, the, you know, I always thought I, I've been on this conscious journey for quite some time. And Yes, my father was unavailable in my life since I was 12. And from a conscious state, you know, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, it must suck to have his life. He, you know, I feel so bad for him. I have a lot of compassion for him. I forgive him, but I forgave him from my adults. I forgave him from, you know, this higher space that can see the bigger picture. But there's still that little child in me that is very present in, in these relationships. And it's like, she is the one who is reliving, you know, this pain, this trauma of, of not having a father around. And this relationship has really invited me to do even deeper inner work and sit with my therapist and work on these things. And so as painful as it was, I do believe that it's drawing me even closer towards myself and healing some of the things that I had no idea were there. I really had no idea were there. And those are those skeletons in the closet, as they say. <laughs> I, this is feeling the feelings that I was speaking of. Like the reason it's hurting so much is because you haven't developed the ability to feel these feelings and move them through you easily and well. I mean, these things are never easy, but but somebody who's more secure, which is, relates to your initial question, to somebody who's more secure has a deeper ability to move through the feelings and for them to move more freely through until until the lessons and until things are integrated, until the experience mm -hmm. is integrated into like, okay, this is life and I'm experiencing it. And this is there's only one direction to go. The more you resist it, the more eventually you might have to handle it because it's just stored somewhere ready for you to integrate. So the more you can integrate things as they happen without them, without creating a backlog, 
the more the more you can be present with what's going on instead of parts of you that are unintegrated. And that's where parts work comes in. If you mix that with attachment theory, where you realize there's parts of you that are still hurt. And parts of this work is to is to essentially turn towards these parts and to bring them back into yourself as an act of love, not as an act of dismissal or pushing away or I can't deal with you, but as an act of, oh, you are me. You are part mm-hmm. of me. And I'm here like as the adult. I'm here to love you and all the hurt that maybe you didn't get from your dad. Mm-hmm. Or maybe mm-hmm. you're lucky and you're able to reconnect with your dad or reconnect with a person like if if it's not your dad it could be somebody else where if you're listening this maybe you can recreate that relationship or maybe they're gone and part of the grieving process is to make peace with what you lost and end up with yourself or your part as a sort of an inner constellation of of parts that you get to take care of as your own inner family yeah Beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so you have definitely done you've done your work. You've been you've going through your own your own pieces and and it is a journey. Relationships are a journey no matter yeah. how much work you do, no matter how much knowledge you do. Like it's just it's one of the most tender and vulnerable and fragile things that we I think we experience as humans and it's also one of the most beautiful beautiful and expansive and deeply nourishing. And this is really why, you know, the, the original podcast was called driven for purpose because it was at a point in my life where I was so yeah, driven to, to live life with meaning and to live life with a purpose and to follow my own, my own path of, of what it is I felt like, yeah, made me feel alive. And through this journey, I realized that it's actually less about what I do and more about the people and the relationships and the quality of those relationships around me that matter most. It's like, I can, you know, I can be a baker or I can do something, some graphic design work that it's not maybe my life's passion, but I'm good at it or whatever. And if I have really good, nourishing, supportive relationships, not just with my romantic relationships, but with people around me, my life is so full and if i'm doing something that is just for my purpose and i'm and i'm i'm making a big in- impact but i don't have the type of connections that really bring me this sense of connection and the sense of oneness which i feel and being seen and seeing which i feel many of us long for it doesn't matter how much money i'm making or how successful i am to the outside world and this is really this is really why deeper intimacy podcast has been rebranded and and it's humans like you who have committed to looking at themselves and the path of relationship and all the different facets and way that it forms. And yeah, I would love to, I would love to hear a little bit about some of what you have to offer. Cause I know this is your life's purpose. I mean, it's great that we get to have both. I'm like, okay, I do my purpose and it's also my passion and it also nourishes me. So I know you're on that same plane. So yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about how you've been taking and integrating all this work and then creating projects that help support other people who want to get more secure in their relationship styles. I want to start with what you were speaking of around Mm. having the right people in your life. So Mm. in the game that I'm developing, but also just just in general, before the game ever existed and all the landmarks on the game, I I came up with this concept called the secure network. Mm. And what the secure network is for me is, is, this sort of circle of people that surround you, whether you know them or not. Like five years ago, I had a car accident and a friend of mine started a GoFundMe and it just money started piling up to support me in my hospital bills and buying a new car and all that. And I was like, wow, I was reaching a point in my life where I felt didn't feel fully connected to the people in my life. And lo and behold, people are showing up from all directions. And it made me realize that regardless of how I feel loved, there are people loving me and these mm-hmm. people are either known or not known, but there's, I'm surrounded by people who love me. And what, I, what I, what I realized is that these people may or may not be in touch with me. They just, they see me from afar or they wish me well, or I ask for, I need something and they kind of pop out of nowhere. And is so every single one of us has a secure network. There are people in our life that, that will reach out to us every once in a while and say, hey, I just want to see how you're doing. And you're like, 
I never hear from you. Like, why did you just reach out to me out of nowhere? And if you if you start to think about it, you'll see there are people who just they want nothing from you other than just reach out to you every once in a while and see how you're doing. And they're they're not there for the transaction. They're not there because they want something or they want to give you something or receive something. They just they just mean the best. They just mean you well. And that's your secure network. And of course, there's people that are your friends that have a connection and you're maintaining that connection. All I'm saying is that there are people around us that are here to support us. And that's what I call the secure network. And there's more to it than we know and we're aware of. And the more we can support that secure network around us by remaining connected to people, by by staying connected to people who are secure, who are not really exciting us necessarily, but they're still tracking us. The more we can support that secure network around us and also become part of somebody else's secure network, the more we create stability for each other. And it's it's sort of a form of co-regulation at the community level, at the collective level. And so in, and even you, as you're creating these podcasts, you're creating, you're speaking words that go out into the world and, and your people, the people that listen to you will receive that as a form of support, whether or not you're aware of it. And you might meet them in five years and they might say, oh, that one podcast really made a difference for me. So this is the way that we show up for each other. And this is the way that we support each other, not just at the immediate relationship level, but casting a wider net so we can support each other. So there's two projects that I'm working on right now. One of them is called The Journey to Secure. It's an online immersion. It's for people to, to develop their own self-care, their own self-regulation, their, their own sort of sense-making and self-resourcing so that they can become more secure. And so they can not just do this in community with each other, but also start to bring this into their life to other people. Because when you know how to regulate self-care and make sense of reality from an attachment theory standpoint, you start to share it. Not because you need other people to be like that, but simply because it just makes sense to do that. You know, it's the same thing. If you have a, a lawnmower and your neighbor doesn't have one, you can just say, hey, use mine. You know, you, you start to share. And that kind of sharing is supportive for everyone around us. And the other, the other thing I'm developing, the other project I have is the board game that I was speaking of. And that board game is an educational board game. It's going to be a map of attachment. It's going to be landmarks that explain what it feels to be in that particular attachment style so that we get to have a conversation about it. All the players get to have a conversation about it. And it's not just, it doesn't just make sense for us, but it starts to make sense for people of different attachment styles so we can validate each other's experience and just say, oh, okay, this is normal. This is just how it feels. Now, what do you need? How can I support you in, in being more regulated and being more self-caring? And how can I help you make sense of what's going on for you so that, so that you can naturally become more secure? So those are the two projects. And all of them are about doing things together and becoming supportive of each other. But also, how can we become supportive of the, the inner parts of us that want to come back home and want to do this together? Mm, yeah, I notice. I notice it really touches pieces inside of me to feel that there are humans like yourself who care so much about creating the thing that makes us feel actually so alive, which is being in connection. And to feel that there are people like you who invest their their whole life's work and and show up and and go through it. I was talking today to someone about how, you know, the best leaders and the best coaches and the best mentors are the people who have gone fucking through it. It's not because they got they went to life certification school and got a life coaching certification. It's because they fucking gone through it. And I really know I know from knowing you from over the last 5 years or so and seeing your journey and seeing how you've navigated things and how you keep coming back to center and you keep coming back to deeper truth and yeah it's just really beautiful to be connected to humans like you who are showing up in this way and and sharing the gifts that you've learned on your path so that others can potentially have it easier and ideally more mm, 
Thank you. I wanted to just speak to the journey to secure online immersion that's happening like imminently. In eight days on January 25th, we'll do five days of online immersion around attachment theory. So there'll be classes, as I've mentioned before, classes on self-regulation, self-care, sense-making, and self-resourcing. And so we have 20 different presenters. It's essentially like an online festival, and all the classes will be recorded. So if you miss one, because it's eight sessions a day, so it's pretty intensive. So if you miss one or five or 10, you will be reminded later, oh, there was this class that we did. Like, you might want to listen to it this week. We might want to check it out. So we might want to do it with your partner and see see what's there for you. So I just want to say this journey, it's a long journey. Like you could learn all the things in the world. You could read all the books tomorrow, if you could, or listen to the summarized versions. But the truth is, like, real growth takes time. You have to change you have to change big chunks of your life in order to make things work better and then the practice it's not just about the awareness it's about the practice to put practices in motion create new habits catching yourself faster and and eventually starting to forecast and self-care ahead of time so that you will be ready for what comes to develop all of that takes time and that's why we invite people to come and join us to take these first steps it's not going to solve your problems over, overnight. What it's going to do is you, it's going to give you some, some sparks, some, some things to start to follow. And some of these sparks are going to grow into little fires and you'll want, you'll want to follow them and warm yourself up against them. And so, yeah, please join us. The website is journeytosecure.com. And if you have any questions, reach out to me and I hope you join us. And if an online festival is not your thing. We're also going to do a live version, probably in San Diego this coming summer, 2023. So for some people to be in person and to do this work together is even more significant and more worthwhile. So yeah. And it's a way so to get on friends. the mailing list either way. <laughs> get on the mailing list. Exactly. So Amazing. thank you so much. Thank you. It's beautiful to to continue to circle back around four or five years later and and to see each other and keep showing up for for this type of work. And I want to thank you for all the work that you do and all the ways in which you support the community around you and for being the first guest back on the show for now what is called Deeper Intimacy. I think it's perfect. Awesome. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening. If you like this episode, please feel free to leave us a comment. Let us know. Leave us a review. Give us a little five-star mark and share it out with your friends so that more and more people can have these tools and these resources. We will see you next time on Deeper Intimacy.